Well, the Christmas season, which is very quickly upon us now, is, is, is wrapped up with a lot of nostalgia, isn't it? A lot of tradition. If you're anything like me, uh, I said this week one as we kicked off Advent season, I love the Christmas season. And so as soon as the Christmas season kind of kicks into gear, maybe if you're like me, there's maybe your, usually your go-to Christmas song that you want to hear as soon as you feel like it's appropriate to be blasting Christmas music in your car or in your home. Maybe you find yourself reminiscing over past Christmases with family and with friends. There's just that warmth that kind of comes over you this, this season. Many of the Christmas songs written even seem to reflect on those past traditions. We like to watch our favorite Christmas movies over and over again. That's been Amy and me for the past few weeks now. As soon as we get the kids down to bed and settled for a bit, like we, we kind of look at each other like, okay, what Christmas movie are we watching tonight? Let's watch this one um, again. We've watched it two times, three times, four times. Let's watch it again. We try to soak up as best we can because we know how quick this season seems to go every single year. This year we're just saying let's just try to soak up every minute of the season as we can and just take every day as it comes to us. Christmas season seems to bring with it, at least a lot of times, our hope is a kind of a, a pause to life. Don't we wish that? Like just a, a little bit of a slowdown so we can kind of just rest and enjoy the season. But we're so often going from one thing to the next to the next, and all of a sudden we're like, Christmas is here. But we just wish every year, just we want to enjoy it. We just want to slow it down a little bit to, to drink it in, to soak it in. I mean, a lot of Christmas songs even reflect this, this internal longing that we have for, for joy and for, for peace. Think of the, the lyrics to the, the well-loved Christmas song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. You got the lyrics in your head, you singing it, you humming it right now, right? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. What are the next words? From now on, our troubles will be out of sight Right? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Again, from now on, our troubles will be miles away. Do you hear even in that, that simple, really beautiful song, that longing, an aching, kind of a, a yearning, right? What, what is it? It's a, it's, a, it's a longing for hope. It's a longing for peace and tranquility and for love and for joy. It truly is, whether humanity realizes it or not, it's a longing for a Savior. It's a, it's, a, it's a longing for salvation. It's an escape, what we're longing for, an escape or deliverance from life's troubles. I think the, the, the reason why most people want to, to kind of soak up the Christmas season, like maybe I do for as long as I can, is that it, it seems to appear for just even a, a few weeks, though imperfectly, of course, but it it appears maybe for at least a few weeks that there seems to be maybe just a, that hope of calmness and joy. There seems to be sometimes even just a, a short respite from, from life's stresses. Even if it's maybe even just for one day on Christmas Day. Can we just get an hour or two on Christmas Day where everybody's getting along? There's no fighting, there's no drama, there's no stress, there's just laughter and joy. Can we just have that for a, a moment? We want that, we, we long for it. Maybe, maybe for some of us, it's, it's the day after Christmas, right? When family is all gone, right? And, and then finally the home is quiet again. Whatever it may be, right, there's a longing for an escape for this yearning to remain in that world of, of peace and joy, calm. We want that for ourselves, and so we even write it into our songs. Our hearts desire redemption, 
They desire salvation and relief from life's troubles. That's the reason why lyrics and songs yearn for troubles to be miles away. There's a reason why we long for peace in just a moment where everyone is just seemingly getting along. Right? Deep down within our hearts, within our souls, every human being, we long for things to be made right. That's why I say even within the, the lyrics of that song, it's, it's actually a yearning for a savior, for salvation. You can't deny that reality, that we ache for it. And yet humanity, what we do is we look to false saviors to fix the mess. Or we just kick the can down the road. That's the best the world can, can say. Well, maybe next year it'll be better. Humanity looks to false saviors to find that joy that their hearts yearn for. And apart from looking to Christ as the solution to the, the cause of sin, which is the cause of all of life's troubles, apart from Christ alone being that Savior, being our redemption, being our salvation, being our joy, the world has no answer to the solution, no answer to the problem of suffering, no answer to the problem of pain, no answer to the problem of death, no answer to the problem of trouble. In fact, like I said, the best the world can do for you is to write it into your lyric, into the songs that maybe next year life will be a little better. Just like what we saw in the lyrics to that, that song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. At least next year, maybe then the troubles that we're facing right now will be in the rearview mirror. What it doesn't say in that song, because that would turn the tone of the song, is that you're going to be facing a whole new set of problems that you're looking to maybe next year, then they'll be at least behind us. That's the best the world can do is, well, let's just kick the can further down the road. Maybe next year there'll be peace. Maybe next year I'll finally be happy. Do you know what the Christmas story is? It's an invitation to all who are weary from life's troubles, all who are hungry for peace, all who are searching for meaning, all who are desperate for joy, to come find rest peace and eternal joy in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the invitation to the Christmas story is. In fact, these opening lines from Luke 2 are, they're, they're recognizable to us, but they even, as we dig into it here, reveal this, this invitation to come find hope in a true Savior of all saviors. Listen to verse 1 in Luke 2. It says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, those are most likely recognizable words to many of us, at least, at least especially if you have a church background. But, but really what we see in the opening verses here, the opening verse of Luke 2, is a cry of humanity for a Savior. Here's, here's why. Caesar Augustus, as was mentioned in verse 1, was, was emperor over the entire Roman, Roman Empire. Basically, the entire inhabited world was under his, his control. Now, now, Caesar Augustus was born with the name Gaius Octavius. He was the, the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Now, after the assassination of Julius Caesar, he, he clawed and he fought his way into power. And, and eventually, when he, when he got into power, he actually turned Rome into the superpower that, that lasted for, for centuries. So Caesar Augustus was actually greatly loved by the Roman people. And in fact, when he got into power, he gave a lot of that power actually back to the people. But he was also the very first Caesar to be given the name Augustus. And that's significant. And Luke points that out here to us, not just because it's historically relative, but, or relevant, but, but because he's trying to draw and compare two saviors here. That, that term, Augustus, means something when you dig into it. And it's interesting that he was the first one to be given that title. See, the title Augustus means holy or it means revered. 
And up to that point in time, that, that title was only given to the gods. In fact, it was about this time, as Luke was writing this, that, that, that the cities in Asia Minor were, were adopting Caesar's birthday, which was September 23rd. They were adopting his birthday as the first day of the new year. And they were hailing him as Savior. So, so the Roman people were revolving their entire lives around this one individual who was in power. They were looking to, to Caesar Augustus, the Holy One, the revered one, for their hope and their peace and their joy. And even when, when Augustus died, when Caesar Augustus died, the Roman people began to comfort themselves by turning to this belief that they created within their own minds that Caesar, he was a god. He's Caesar Augustus. He was holy. He was revered. And they began to tell themselves this, this line over and over again, gods do not die. Gods don't die. And so even though Caesar was in a tomb, even though he was lifeless, even though he was not breathing, heart not beating, they kept telling themselves, gods don't die. Gods don't die. Remember, gods don't die. But they can tell themselves all they want. Caesar was not coming out of that tomb. And so what Luke brilliantly does in Luke 2 is to some degree he's comparing and contrasting two saviors. One was a, a former ruler of, of Rome who died and the people had to just comfort themselves by his death and in his death by repeating this phrase that gods don't die, right? Gods do not die kind of sounds like next year our troubles will be miles away. The other Savior contrasted in Luke's gospel here is Jesus. God in the flesh come to save and redeem his people. The Savior who would one day die but would be brought back to life to live forever as our King and Savior, a God who does not die. The Romans looked to Caesar Augustus for their hope and their joy and their peace, and when death took, them, took him from them, they, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to cope. They didn't know who to turn to, and so they just kept living in this delusion that he's, he's not really dead. And so what, do, what are you looking to for, for joy and for meaning and for salvation? Is, is, it, is it a perfect marriage, a perfect relationship, is it, is it just the right gifts that are going to be under the tree? Is it the perfect family gathering without any drama or stress? Is it that big Christmas bonus or is it Christ? What, what is it for you? Because make no mistake, every single person in this room, every single person watching online, every single person that's hearing these feeble words of mine, you're all looking to something. I am looking to something or someone to find joy and meaning and purpose and salvation, looking to something to make sense of my life, to deal with the problems and issues that I bring, not only just within the brokenness of who I am, but as I deal with the brokenness of others and the world around me, we look to something to find meaning and joy. Parents, let me, let me talk to you for just, just a second here. I, I totally get as parents, and I'm obviously one of them and, and, and feel this as well, and we want to provide the, the perfect Christmas for our kids. Like, I love seeing my kids' joy and excitement on Christmas morning. Like, I really do. It's a, it is a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun as a family on Christmas morning. But, but here, as, as parents, here's where we need to guard ourselves and where we need to walk in wisdom. Are, are we, as, as parents, discipling our children to find more joy in material things that are found under the tree that will soon wear out and will soon find themselves, find it in the city dump? Or are we discipling them to find their true joy in the person of Christ? 
Like, like we as parents, we've got to be careful because, because our hearts, right, our default setting, we are so easily tempted, so easily persuaded to find joy in anything other than Jesus. Our hearts do not naturally drift toward him. They drift toward the things of the world. And so our responsibility as, as parents before God is to lay before our, our children the supreme treasure of, of Jesus Christ and then pray fervently for the Holy Spirit to ignite a fire within their hearts to love and to savor Jesus above all things. That, that we want to we look and, and, and savor and treasure the creator, not the creation. Because our hearts want to go towards the creation, not the creator. So as parents, how do we draw their hearts to look upward to the true giver of gifts? Like, we're, we're one week away from Christmas. Let me really encourage you as I'm thinking through this even within my family this week. Spend this week. We're one week away from Christmas morning. Spend this week with your kids as much as you can reading through the Christmas story of Luke 2. Read it with your kids. Have them read it out loud. Have them act it out. Invite them into the story to share the joy of Jesus' birth. Talk with them throughout the week. Share your heart with them and how much Jesus means to you. Pray for them. Pray for them every day, every night as you put them to bed. That, that, and, and pray for their, our own heart to find supreme joy in Christ alone. Pray that over them. Celebrate with them the true gift of gifts. And then listen, on Christmas morning, right, celebrate together, right? Open gifts. I hope there is lots of laughter and joy in your home. But never forget our responsibility, your responsibility before God Almighty is to disciple your children to see, uh, uh, to see that Jesus is uh, truly beautiful, truly worthy of our, of our worship, that we, that we can get all that the world offers us but doesn't compare to how amazing and how awesome Christ is. So again, the question then before all of us this morning is, is where do we turn for joy? What do we rest in? What does Jesus bring us that, that, that is so much more significant than what the world can bring us? And, and so to answer that question, let, let's focus our time, uh, the remainder of our time this morning, just on the, on the angel's announcement to the shepherds in verses 10 and 11. Now, as, as, you, as you begin to draw your attention now to verses 10 and 11, right away you're going to see three words that are, probably maybe get lost in the story, but are incredibly powerful that I want to just dwell on for just a little bit. And, and they're necessary words because without them, we have no, we have no reason to find eternal joy. We, without these three words, there is, we're, we're lost in our sin and brokenness and darkness. There's three words that are essential to everything that we're talking about, speaking about this entire Christmas season, everything that we sing about this morning finds its, its, its truth, its reality, its source, its power in these three words. Let's, let's see if we can find them in verses 10 through 11. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What are those three words that are so powerful? I, I think it's found in verse 11. The three words, for unto you. For unto you. Three simple words, but jam-packed with hope, life, and joy. In fact, in those words, we find the, the power for our joy, the source of our joy and hope and peace and love that we've we spent the last month talking about. We spent the last three weeks talking about the anticipation of the Advent season and what it brings. And here we are now at the culmination of it all. 
See, for centuries, generation after generation after generation, they were, they were waiting. And they were longing for this Messiah. Right? This, this, this coming of this Savior, King. And, and here we are in Luke 2 with the angels saying to these, these shepherds on a, on a field, for unto you. Right? Something has been given. A gift is here. Right? We have here in Luke 2 the incarnation of Jesus Christ, meaning that God became flesh and he lived among us. The historic doctrine of the church found throughout the, the pages of Scripture is the belief that, that through the miraculous virgin birth, God became man and lived among us, dwelt among us. We see this in John 1, 14, when it says the word, Jesus, referring to Jesus, and the word became flesh, dwelt among us. I've always liked how Eugene Peterson says it. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, says that Jesus made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. Even the prophets talked and and prophesied of this coming day. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born. To us a son is, is given. The birth of Jesus changed the world. As he, as he lay in that manger, as he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, as he was surrounded in that humble moment, surrounded by Mary and Joseph and a few shepherds, the world would never be the same again. Why? Because unto you, to us, a true and everlasting Savior has been born. God has come to earth, right? God has come to earth in the likeness of man, yet without man's brokenness and sinful nature. I see in, in these few verses <clears throat> two life-changing realities that take place in our hearts from the angel's announcement that the coming of Jesus brought into this world. See, when the angel told these shepherds, for unto you, like I said, everything changed in mankind's search for, for salvation, for redemption. Because now the, the waiting was, was, finally, was finally over. Now we, they had, with, in flesh and in blood, the promised Messiah who would redeem humanity and creation. He was, he was here. They could go see him. Without the for unto you in this announcement, nothing would have changed. Humanity would still be without hope. So what changes because Jesus was born. Two, two things. Number one is courage. We see in the angel's announcement, courage. Notice one of the first things the angel said to the shepherds in verse 10. They, they come to him and say, fear not. Right? Fear not. The opposite of fear is, is courage. And, and so we need to ask, why does the birth of Jesus give us courage? How does that lead us into great joy? Well, like when, when I was a kid, um, our family, uh, we, we lived in a really, really old home. And it was one of those homes where, like, the, the basement was just kind of looked like a dungeon, right? Like, so you have in, in your mind, right, those old basements, old homes that, like, you don't want to go into, right? Like, so it was, it was unfinished. It had the old exposed kind of brick foundation. It was dark. It was cold. I, I really, growing up, I hated any time I had to go down there by myself to go get something, like, even into my, and this is where I, like, be transparent, but even into my teenage years, right, like, like going down there into that basement, I was like, ah, do I have to go there? Like, it would just cause me to shiver a bit. Now, I was, I was okay, like, as long as, like, the light was on. 
But, but you know that feeling like when you're downstairs, I, so like you're going up the steps and there's no light switch at the top of the steps that turns the lights off at the bottom. You gotta like go down into the darkness to turn the light on and then when you go up the steps, you gotta flip the light and then you gotta walk up the steps with like this creepy dark room just behind you. You just feel like something's like coming up after you. That was our basement, right? That's what, where I had to grow up in, right? So I would remember, I would stand at the base of those steps and I would look at the top and I would get, re- I would get into like a sprint stance Right, And so I would start running with the light on, go up the steps, flip the switch as I'm running mid-stride up those steps and, and, and get to the top as quick as I can. My parents probably wondered why I was always out of breath anytime I came up the steps from that basement. Because you also are trying to run lightly too, right? Like you're not trying to clomp, clomp, clomp up the steps quick. You have to run like very, like very lightly as I'm running up the steps. And so I didn't want anyone to know how terrified I was of that basement, right? I was, I was fine as long as the light was on down there. But but as soon as that light was off, right, like there's just, there was that sense of dread and just, it was just terrified me. Darkness is unsettling. It's unsettling because we, we can't see, right? There, there's, there's a loss of, of control that comes with darkness, right? There's that, that unknown of like, I don't think there's anybody in this room, but like, could there be, right? Like that, that's, that's that unknown, the unsettling feeling that comes when you're in darkness, well, this was humanity before Jesus came, right? Completely lost, Scripture says, in darkness, right? Lost in a, a world of brokenness and sinfulness, a world that was decaying, a world of pain and hurt, a world filled with suffering and death. In fact, it was a world that didn't know how to deal with death and, and other than to say gods don't die. But then unto us, a Savior was born. Unto us, a Son given. See, Jesus didn't just turn the light on. He was the light himself. The apostle John in his gospel says of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John 16, Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, right? You'll have trouble, right? We, we, we get that. In this world, we have trouble. But, but what's he say? He says, take heart. Take heart. What, what's he saying? Fear not. Be courageous. Why? He says, because I've overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the darkness. The light has overcome the darkness. And, and his light, who he is, will never be extinguished, but will shine forever and ever and ever. What's Jesus promised in Matthew 28 is he commissions his disciples to go into the world, right? A, a world that's dark and dangerous, a world that's going to be filled with trouble and suffering and death, a a world filled with rejection and persecution and oppression. What's he say? He says, go into the world. He says, I'm with you always, right, to the end of the age. I'm with you always. Like, as you go into a world that's dark, I'm with you and I'm bringing light because I'm the light, See, the courage to endure suffering and the brokenness of this world does not come from us willing it, but from us abiding in Christ, who is the light, who has overcome the darkness. Christ, who is our life. Christ, who is our strength. For unto you, he's here, he's with you, he's come, and he's with us. God with us. 
Even the courage to stand before a, a holy God without being destroyed does not come because of our moral goodness, but through Christ alone, through repentance and faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. If you have not turned from your sin, if you're still looking to false saviors, other things to make you right, to give you your, your life a sense of, 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 of perfection or of upstandingness, right? Like if you're looking to anything other than Christ, you need to turn from it. Scripture calls you to, to repent and turn in faith to Jesus where you will find hope and life and meaning, eternal joy, eternal salvation. This is what the Christmas story is all about. But secondly, I'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't deal with this text and talk about the, the topic before us, the theme of this week. What, what has Jesus brought us? Not only courage, but he's brought us joy. He's brought us joy. There's no way we can miss that. The angel's announcement was one, they said, of, of good news of a great joy. A great joy that's for all people. How does the birth of Jesus bring great joy? Well, because the birth of Jesus was God's promise to mankind fulfilled. Since the fall of man into Genesis 3, we talked about that week one, God has promised a redeemer who would restore and save mankind from their sin. A redeemer, a Messiah who would bring them back into right relationship with God, which is where true joy is, is found. It's found in the presence of God. Right? You, you want to find joy that is unending, that's eternal, that continues to increase and increase and increase. We find that in the presence of God, not in the creation that God has made. And since that promise in Genesis 3, mankind has waited, and they were wondering, when will God fulfill his promise? And so here we have Luke 2 and the angels speaking to these shepherds and say, the promise has been kept. It's being fulfilled right here tonight. You can go see it. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise to the solution to mankind's problem. He is the way back to God, which is where we find joy. The psalmist says, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Right? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so eternal joy is found in the presence of God. <clears throat> we cannot enter into the, the presence of God in our sinful and unredeemed state. And so, so unto us a son is given, a savior, right? Jesus is the bridge that ushers mankind back into the presence of God, which is what we are created for. And so the angels are saying to these shepherds, I've got great news for you. The one who can bring you back into right relationship with the, with the God of the universe, where you experience fullness of joy. He's here. And you don't know, see, like, they couldn't wait to share this with them because it was good news. We love to share good news. And they were sharing the best news, the best news that, that would bring them great joy. They're saying to these shepherds, he's born for unto you, promise fulfilled. Go see him. The birth of Jesus is God with us. We'll talk about that next Sunday on Christmas morning. God with us, and he's with us forever. Listen, this world is, is difficult. It's filled with hardship, and it's filled with suffering. There's no escaping that. Even if the next, even if the next week or two offer maybe a, a bit of relief, we, we know problems are just around the corner. For some, maybe this year has been a, a difficult and hard year. For others, maybe this next year will be that. I don't say that to, to depress us. I, I just say to acknowledge the reality of, of what we find ourselves in, in this, in this world that's aching for redemption, for Christ to return. 
But I say that not only to acknowledge the reality of it, but to plead with you to look to Christ, who is your joy through hardship, through suffering, through whatever pain you will experience in this world. I, I don't know what this next year holds for you, but God does, and he's good, and he's faithful. And by abiding in Christ who has come, we can walk through and endure suffering and pain and trouble with joy. How? Because Jesus says, I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. It does not have the final say in your life. Because he promises to be with us to the end of the age. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. We can endure because Jesus has been given to us. And even if we lose everything in this life, he can't be taken from us. And we know he's enough. We know he is sufficient. Apostle Paul teaches this so well in his letter to the Philippians. He says in Philippians 4, he says, Listen, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Right? Like here's where you're like, you want almost on the edge of your seat if you've never heard this text before. He's learned the secret of, of being content, whether he has everything or everything's taken from him. What's he say is the secret? Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Right? His deep, Paul's deep and abiding joy was in the sufficiency of Jesus. And so let me ask you, church, is, is Jesus enough for you? <laughs> is he enough for you? Listen, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. Too often, my, my joy is, is not found in Christ alone, but it's found in, like, I hope that person likes me. I hope that person thinks well of me. And so what happens in my own heart is, is people begin, begin to be my idol. And I begin to revolve my life around what I can do to please them so that they'll, they'll, they'll accept me. So they'll, they'll like me. So, so they'll approve of me. It's, it's an area of my own heart, my own life, that I have to confess often. I have to repent of often. Because my heart drifts towards it so quickly. But, but what is it for you? What is it for you? Like, you, we need to identify, you need to identify what are those idols in your life that, that you just drift toward to find that acceptance, to find that approval, to find that, that, that love, right? You need to identify those idols and you need to repent of them, acknowledge them and turn to Christ and say, Jesus, help me to believe that you're enough, that, that I'm after you, that you're my treasure, you're my delight, you're my unending joy, that nothing in this world can match or even come close to. This section of, of Scripture concludes with the angels worshiping. You know, the angels begin praising God for his, his work of, of redemption. They are praising God for his grace and his mercy. They're praising God for his love of these sinful rebels that he's come to save. They're praising God that because through Jesus, creation is going to be restored. It's going to be experiencing the peace and hope and joy that it was intended to experience. In verse 14, then we see that, those, those, that final song of the angels singing glory to God in the highest. And they say, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And Jesus brought us what, what we needed most, and that is peace with our God. This ultimately was what the birth of Jesus was, was all about. We were lost in darkness. We were hostile toward our creator. Relationship um, with, with, with God was, was fractured. Right? Relationship with one another is, is broken. And Jesus comes and 
He's restoring it. He's making all things new, and he's doing so through his suffering, through his life, his death, his resurrection. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4 of Jesus and his disciples, and they're the story is they're on a boat and they're crossing from one side of the sea to the other. And as they're sailing, Jesus is asleep and this powerful storm comes upon them. And it was so powerful that the waves were tearing this boat that they were on apart. And so these disciples, many of them experienced fishermen, are terrified. In fact, they're thinking, we're going to die. Like, we're not going to make it through this storm. And so they go find Jesus and Jesus just sound asleep. Through, through the whole storm, and they wake him up, and, and they, they plead with him. You hear the desperation in their voices. Like, Jesus, we're dying. We're, we're desperate. Like, we are, we are perishing here. Like, we have no hope. Like, we're sinking. You need to help us. Help us. And, and many in this room, I know you, you know the story, but if you don't know, here's what happens next. Jesus wakes up. He stands up. He, he walks to the edge of the boat, and he looks out at the storm. And he literally speaks to creation. He speaks to the storm. He says, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. It just stopped. I mean, what a beautiful picture of, of what the birth of Jesus brought into this world. It, it brought hope, brought joy, brought peace through the love of God. All that we've seen this month, right? God with us, for unto you. Like apart from Christ, we're sinking we're lost. We have no hope, right? The, the world seeks to, to crush us and oppress us and destroy us. Sin is raging a violent storm within us and, and upon us. The enemy seeks to, to lead us to despair, seeks to destroy us. And Jesus arrives into this mess and with his life just looks at it and says, peace, be still. This is what the angels were proclaiming and worshiping and, and rejoicing in. This is what we as, as the church who have been redeemed through the blood of Christ stand in today, rest in today. Christ has brought us peace. That's what should stir our hearts and our minds and our affections toward great joy, to rejoice. That through faith in Christ we find that peace, we find that joy, we find the courage that we need to continue on. That's the joy we find this Christmas season.